The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. Hello, my name is Kimberly Martin, and you're listening to Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County, a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions expressed on this show are totally mine and do not reflect the opinions of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County and other shows, please go to KUCI.org. Well, hello, Heather. How are you today? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Good. I'm really liking the fact that this heat isn't so strong. It's actually a beautiful day today. I can't believe I'm saying that with the sun out still, but yeah. I I know. I think last night was the first night I was able to turn the air off and open the windows again and feel the cool breeze. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm much more appreciative about that than I was last summer. Yeah. Well, I mean... In just my luck, it's global warming instead of global cooling. Oh, yeah. Well, you mean it's just your luck or just all of our luck? <laughs> well, it's my, I mean, it feels like just my luck because I hate the heat. And I like, if it's 68 degrees out and overcast, I'm good to go. I'm but. like that too. I think I moved to the beach to have June gloom every day. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like one of my favorite things. Although it's been a really long and very tediously hot summer. So I think everybody's in an, in in agreement with us that the, we're done with the heat. Down with the heat. Is it over or are we getting another heat wave? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. Uh, my TV, I've moved twice in the last five days. So my TV's still unplugged. Mm, I don't Very know. nimble. <laughs> oh, I'm exhaustedly sore. My hands feel like there's calluses everywhere. and just like... so You've told me before you're a pack rat, so maybe it's time to uh, lighten the load. Well, I shouldn't I, say that. Oh God, don't make that happen no, to me. <laughs> it, it, no, it's 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 actually not bad. Um, I can solve. I used to have, you know, Apple boxes, not the computer, but actual Apple boxes. You know that they ship apples in. I used to have like five or six boxes full of stuff that I didn't want to part with, but I didn't really use. And so, um, over the last two or three years, I've gotten one Apple box down. So, okay. um, I'm, I'm getting better with that. It's just a, it's just a sheer volume of stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, and then it's, sometimes it's not the right stuff. Like I don't have a, I don't have an oven pan. So, uh, I'm off to maybe Williams and Sonoma to try to find one of those, maybe Target. I don't know. And then, um, that's kind of, that's a big dichotomy. St- there, try the but, secondhand yeah. store first. Yeah. There's this whole concept of uh, thrifting and repurposing of items, which I love right now. Everybody's really into that. And I don't know if you know this, but October is is the time when, uh, well, it's the harvest season that's yeah. coming out, although hard to imagine that there's anything left after that heat. But um, the craft fairs are starting now. And yeah. so all of these artisans, these would-be moms and dads that... Um, by day do something by night they are out crafting and coming up with creativity and looking for ways to get their creativity out there for everybody so if you're interested in a lot of neat things to do that you're not going to find in the stores the craft fairs are your local community will have them I know that um, I spent a lot of time in Laguna Niguel there's a craft fair coming up this weekend there at the Parks and Recs there's a sea um, 
Sea Country um, Senior Center. There's one there on Saturday the 6th from uh, 10 to 3. There's another one up in the north part of the county. Um, That one's called Fall into Fall Boutique. And that one's going to be neat. You can go find out about that one in North Tustin on um, the website, thedayyourway.com. That one's going to be from 10 to 4. So if you like unique shopping experiences. (laughs) And lots of beads. Well, I don't know. You might find beads. You might find pottery. You might find handmade jewelry or handmade candy. Um, Fudge is a big one that comes out. Uh, people that make clothes from you know recycled um, recycled. I wonder if you can. Jeans, I, I, they might make go to, I might go to a craft fair to repair and actually handmade jewelry. Um, I teach Sunday school once in a while at my church that I go to, and uh, they uh, the kids made these little beads like um, right. Uh, what do you call it? Like bracelets. And the little string that holds the beads together is just kind of worn out. And so it'd be cool to just get another string and then keep the beads on. So I wonder if they repair beads. I'm sure you can find somebody that's skilled and has their tools with them. And that might might make you um, more apt to go shop their booth. But I'm fascinated by it because to some degree, I think there is a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in all of us. And you really see that now more than ever in these in these craft guilds because these people are um, really pressed for time in their lives. They don't have time to exercise their creativity in the way that I think they would more fully if they didn't have full-time jobs and full-time families. But they're coming out and they're hawking their wares right in front of everybody. It's just kind of a neat season. I love it. It's just so much creativity and fabulous ideas. People using old frames, turning them into chalkboards or old wine bottles and turning them into candles. Uh, just fun stuff. So yeah. I invite everybody to go out in the community. There's usually a sign on every corner right now for a craft fair. So oh, definitely cool. well worth well worth. But um, not, not a not a smooth segue, but we'll we'll do it anyway because you're trying. <laughs> um, well, I'll you know, give you that. I I I don't know. I think I have more in common with our next guest than than you or either he might realize. Where today um, we are bringing on Brian Goodman, and I'm really excited because. 20 years ago, this Brian was speaking my language. <laughs> and so Brian is an entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about what an entrepreneur is. Many of you have heard the term entrepreneurship. And that is this type of innovation that we're talking about on a much larger scale. Um, Brian brings, brings his talents to a lot of local businesses and local nonprofits in our community. So we wanted to spend some time today to really focus on what he's doing. He's one man, but he's making a difference. And we want to give a little shout out to you, Brian. Brian Goodman, thank you for coming to the studio today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. I am, I'm excited to dive into your career because you have, well, you have a lot of facets. So we want to make sure we touch on as many of them as we can within the hour. Uh, Brian did ex- express a little trepidation about how are we going to talk about this for an hour? And I look at this list and I think, how are we going to get through it all in an hour? So we tend to be a little chatty and, um, and and delve in deep but there's a lot there's a lot of richness in the corporate world today and this concept of entrepreneurship which you talk about is is really where that richness starts so brian comes to us he's the managing director right now for experius financial and it is a division of a multi-billion dollar company manpower which a lot of us have heard of so uh, tell us where we start brian let's talk about this concept of entrepreneurship 
Certainly. So as you can imagine, and as you alluded to, entrepreneurship is a former derivative of being an entrepreneur. And what the real differentiation is, is the idea that you are being an entrepreneur within a much larger corporate setting or global organization. And, you know, both being an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur has its own set of unique challenges and differences. And when you're working as an entrepreneur inside that larger organization, it's the idea of being able to take a concept or an idea and develop it into a usable service or project. Uh, Entrepreneurs are like entrepreneurs in the sense they have the same high level of autonomy and want to work on these projects and they within the companies that they're working for. And they're they're essentially acting like an entrepreneur, but they're doing it with a different set uh, of risk profile and and a different set of resources that are available to them. From the company? Typically from the company. So in the classic sense of being an entrepreneur, you're, you're off starting a project or an idea or a concept on your own. You might be looking for funding. Where do we start? Do we do it in our garage? Do we rent space? Uh, there's, you know, again, a unique set of challenges that come with being that entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, since you're typically in a much larger corporate setting, or you're trying to promote innovation and foster new ideas within the confines of a much larger organization, which creates a different set of challenges, but it gives you a unique uh, runway as far as where those opportunities may lie. Wow, well said. Um, so... In terms of your experience and where you come from, have you started a company before? Were you an entrepreneur before you became an intrapreneur? I was, actually. It wasn't a a very large company, but uh, in college, I started a computer consulting company where I actually uh, built computers. Oh, a little Michael Dell, maybe? (laughs) I I knew Michael. (laughs) A little bit. I was uh, in the Midwest, and I would buy parts, uh, computer parts from California, build them, and then sell them for a profit. Oh, that's Remarkable. I knew a lot of guys. And in college, I was the chairman for the Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs. And what we were was this concept of a networking organization Mm -hmm. for young people that wanted to start their own businesses, but really were focused on getting a business degree and then maybe finding a job. And our big thing was, how do you avoid getting a job? And the way we advocated was that you start your own business and you consider doing it as your first step and not as a as a middle step, you know, halfway down your path. So I met so many guys, Macworld, um, David Goldberg, he, Michael Dell. They were all young and they were just getting their start. Now, those of my buddies that invested in Dell stock did pretty well. <laughs> I'm sure they did. But um, but it sounds like you were right there at that at that juncture with them and seeing an opportunity and seizing it. How did that go for you? Uh, it went well. It gave me a good foundation and a background to understand business at an early age and figure out uh, what you had to, to do to be successful and the amount of time, energy, and focus you needed uh, and what resources were available to you. I think it also uh, instilled some basic concept of uh, being able to get advice, talk to others that have been out there in the community, people who have done this before, surrounding yourself with people and good mentors and advisors to be able to make you successful. Um, that's a really important point. And I know that before we did this interview, we talked about wanting to speak about mentorship a lot during this session. We really want 
to give back, especially to the community here um, in Irvine and UCI in particular, to the the 20-somethings. We want to instill through this interview uh, the idea of mentorship and why that's important to you and why that's something you should consider at the outset of your career, the beginning rather than, you know, way when you're in knee deep to the thick of whatever business or professional circumstances you end up. Um, Do we want to talk about that now? Sure. Okay. No, I think it's an excellent point that you bring up, and it's something that I didn't necessarily understand early in my career. But the idea of surrounding yourself with mentors, uh, board of advisors, trusted confidants that can help guide you along the way, uh, something that I've taken upon myself in building my career and my profession was reaching out to those that I respected and saw were leaders within the community and tapped into those individuals and created a somewhat of an informal board of directors, if you will. Kind of like your own personal advisory board? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, each one was handpicked for a different reason. They may have subject matter expertise in finance or marketing. One might be part of a global organization. Uh, looking at different industries and being able to pull together a team that's going to be able to provide you a lot of guidance and advice in a variety of areas. You don't want people who are all the same. Okay, so give me an example. You're a young guy. You're putting computer parts together. Did you at that time put together your own personal advisory board? No, I don't think at that time I quite had the vision and understanding of the importance of that. I think at that age, for me, it was more uh, family. Family that was um, the individuals that I would turn to for advice. Uh, My my parents were always a very strong part of my life and uh, were always there to guide me and provided me with everything I needed to be successful and always very supportive of me. So I guess informally that uh, that was built in with my, with my family and my parents. So family is a, a good place to start in terms of directing their attention to a certain aspect of your success. Certainly. And um, probably important to set those limits with family. Um, here's how I need your help. And, you know, it doesn't extend to, you know, who I date or... <laughs> All those other other aspects that family likes to comment on, how I wear my hair, blah, well, think, blah, blah. I think you're always looking at things that, you know, we live in a complicated world and there's a lot of facets of it that we may or may not understand. And having people that have lived uh, a generation ahead of us and have experienced it, while you might not think they know anything uh, at the time or at a certain age, uh, you'd be amazed at how much uh, knowledge and wisdom they can share with you. Okay, so if you were to put together your arsenal how would we advise somebody? Because this is something that you do. This is part of your career. You you help people. You coach people. Um, but how would you say to somebody that says, hey, what a great idea. I need to put together my own board of directors or advisory board. How do they start that process? Well, I think first you need to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And if there's a particular goal, if it's just more general as far as your, your career path and what you're looking to do, or if you're very specific in a particular industry or niche, uh, because then you need to take a look at how you want to craft that. And there needs to be a lot of thought into who you need to identify and the right resources, the right skill set and people. Uh, I think then you need to look about who you know in the community. And it's not just who you know, it's who you know who may know other people. And uh, you know, that, that six degrees of separation or certainly. two and, or three? And I will say, you know, over time, my personal board has changed and evolved as I have evolved, but nobody that I have asked has ever told me no. And so it's always been interesting to me that when you reach out to these individuals, and these are always people that I had met uh, at some point, some I knew very well before I asked them, others I had met uh, more informally and didn't know for a very long time. 
Okay. So we're giving our listeners some tips right now. And if you're just tuning in, this is 88.9 FM here in Irvine. This is Real People of Orange County. And I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. And with me also in the studio is Heather McCoy. She's listening in quietly. Yeah. (laughs) And very patiently. Um, We're talking about putting together your own personal um, advisory board or your own personal board of directors. And we're getting some tips from Brian Goodman. And he is here with us today with from Experius Financial. He is an entrepreneur within his organization, and he's telling us some tips about how we might consider uh, coming up with our our network, how to network a little bit of how to network today. We'll talk about and um, and how to put together our um, our advisory board. So let's go through the list of some ways people can start connecting with others. Certainly. I mean, there's any number of things that uh, an individual can do as far as figuring out how they're going to go about networking. I think the idea of networking needs to be a concept that is fundamental in what they're doing. It's not something that they do at any given one point in time and they say, okay, I'm going to go out and network today. Today, right. This is something that needs to be ingrained in everything that they do. Networking is is really the the opportunity in its simplest form to be just talking to people, making connections, developing rapport to grow your circle of influence and and help someone without the idea of really looking for something in return. Okay, well that's an important point and I want to touch on on the what you just said as really you're giving without wanting to have expecting something in return. You pay it forward. It's that whole pay it forward concept. Okay. But you um you it, it's it's said of you that you're a networking master. Today, in today's day and age with technology, one of the things you said to me in the car on the way over, you said a lot of young people don't know how to network today. And I find that so fascinating when you think of how many avenues we have developed as a society to communicate in little blip by blips more regularly, Twitter and Facebook with people. How is it that we have lost this skill? And why is it different? I think there's a a fundamental challenge that we have with... uh, you know, youth today, you know, the 20s uh, and 30-year-olds who are growing up in an age of technology. Uh, you know, we grew up in a, in a world where we didn't have that technology. We'd be out uh, in the neighborhood building forts and working and playing together, whether it be sports games or other things, always interacting with one another, always talking and communicating with one another. Today's uh, you know, generation is really focused on technology. They have tablets and iPads, and they are texting. And it's amazing to see a you know a conversation occur, and you watch from a distance two people who could be less than three feet away from each other, and they are communicating via text versus actually turning to one another and having a conversation. And I think it's a is challenge. That, is that to the detriment of of what we're trying to achieve when we network with other individuals? Yeah, I think so, because I think that fundamental skill of learning how to carry oneself, how to communicate effectively with someone, and really how to take a message. You could be a very bright individual, but if you're not able to effectively communicate that message, you're going to be challenged as you're growing and developing in your career. Okay. So when you talk about networking, you're saying in the purest form, it's just talking to people. And that's probably the main missing ingredient with the technology is that it doesn't enable us to talk to each other. Yeah. And I think when you break it down to its simplest form, it's it's talking to someone and talking to them no matter what, where you are or what you're doing. So it could be a sporting event. It could be at uh, uh, you know the grocery store. It could be in your everyday work environment. You have to be constantly looking for how can I better myself today? 
how can I help someone with what they're doing? And it's that pay it for mentality in everything that you do. Uh, do you find that people in the business community are receptive to the message of paying it forward and helping without wanting something in return? Yes and no. I think it depends on the individual, their backgrounds and, and upbringing. I think uh, some people can be a little bit cynical and, and not necessarily understand why someone is willing to help me for no other reason than they want to help, help me. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to change that message and that attitude because I think it's so important in, in who we are as people in a society. Uh, but it, it's something that there's a, there's a reason for that. How it evolves over time, I think, is still yet to be determined, and I think that the technology definitely creates a challenge with that, which is why I think we need to do more in, in our educational process as parents, through the universities, and even as uh, corporations, and how we're training that next generation of leadership uh, and business people and just community activists throughout uh, the world. Okay. Um the developing of the rapport that you do with somebody when you're in their presence, um, growing your circle of influence, you can't do that by being on a computer, can you? No, you can't. You really have That's to... That's not a great starting place. You not only have to, to learn how to communicate effectively, but you have to learn how to listen. Mm -hmm. Listening carefully and reading people is so much about the interaction and being being with people staring at a computer screen or a tablet's not going to give you those skills and it's not going to help you understand how to react in those types of situations you miss out on somebody's personality when you limit yourself just to screen time with a person don't you i think people's personalities don't develop when you're confined to a screen um i agree yeah, I agree. One of the great quotes you wrote down here, I don't know where you found it, but it says, great networkers. You want to say it? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great quote that uh, I had heard, and I, I don't know who the actual author is, but it was, great networkers are a collection of people committed to one another's success. I love that. I, shout out to one of my dear friends, Taya. She's one of the best networkers that I know for that. She truly just sits there and tries to figure out ways to put people together to help them improve. And that's that's a lot of what you do. No, absolutely. And it's very powerful when you see it. Well, you're, you're not, there's no ulterior motive. There's no agenda. When the idea is you meet somebody and then you meet someone else and say, hey, these people should connect. They should really know one another. I think there'd be value, whether it be personally or professionally. Uh, it doesn't always have to be around business. There could be uh, cultural or personal things, lifestyle choices that makes it that these people need to know one another. And by facilitating that introduction, you, you're, there's a perceived value of what you can offer and what you can do. And you know, you're that person who's really out there getting things done and making those connections. What are some of the good places for people to start networking? Oh, there's uh, any number of places. I think everywhere, uh, you know, in, in everything that you're doing, you can have the opportunity to network. So you can serve on boards of directors. You can be networking at um, you know sporting events, to church, to uh, you know little league, uh, really anywhere you go, because it fundamentally goes back to that concept of it's just simply talking to people and making connections. Uh, some of them are going to be forged very quickly if you have uh, certain backgrounds or things that are, you're going to instantly connect on. Say maybe you went to the same university. Okay. Others you may be forced into a situation because your, uh, your kids are on the same talker team, and that's going to take more time to develop a relationship with someone. But the idea is not just going there and standing there alone. 
you actually have to, have to, to start the interaction and that dialogue, and it, it will develop over time. Okay, so w- once once a connection has been made, do you feel like some of these outlets that we were talking about that have maybe hindered networking can also then come come back and and help networking as well? No, absolutely. I think there's there's parts of technology that can be very valuable. Uh, if you look at uh, the, the the phenomenon with social networking and Facebook, uh, one of my favorites is LinkedIn. Uh, as far as from the business perspective, LinkedIn is one of the most valuable networking tools that is out there, and uh, most people know how to use it in its basic form. I think it is so powerful, and there are so many features and functionalities that most people don't utilize. But uh, anybody out there who's looking to start developing a career and from a business perspective, LinkedIn's a great starting point. They need to understand how to build a profile, how to leverage the relationships and contacts and, and the power of the technology to help them stay in touch with their network. That's one of the other challenges and one of the ones that I face is as my network continues to grow and grow and grow, you are struggling with and the challenge of actually keeping in touch and communicating because you don't want to just touch somebody once or reach out and speak to somebody once. You want to have an ongoing dialogue and relationship and email and LinkedIn provide you a a means of doing that. But as that group grows, it becomes more difficult. So LinkedIn probably prompts you to get in touch with people in your network, don't they? Uh, there it's are a little bit organized. Yeah, I it, notice there, it prompts me all the time. There are definitely features of it <laughs> that allow you to. I didn't hate to admit it, but I've been deleting some of those prompts. <laughs> you have to be able to uh, set the settings that are going to be most relevant for you. And so when you're, you know, you're joining groups, you can control how much information you want to receive. You can also control how much information is disseminated out there. Right. Someone who is. Uh, on it frequently, adding, adjusting, and changing, you can actually turn off the capabilities so that it's not constantly bombarding your network with information. Gotcha. Uh, other times, you yeah. can then use status updates to share valuable information. Uh, oh, and then I like that. Other features that you may actually be able to use it to introduce other people to one another. So you can actually send a profile to someone else and introduce them with their information already there. It's got their contact information and links you right to them and then type a little note as to why you're making this introduction. Making the introduction. I think my friend Taya uses that feature a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, So I'm going to use a little bit of networking here. We had a guest on the show uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, Daniel Wu. They were with the uh, Lymphoma Society. Did you hear that interview? I know Daniel very well. Oh, you know Dan Wu. Okay, well, so Dan just sent me an email. And um, and this is a a great example of networking. So I was going to ask you after the show, but I'm going to ask you on the air because we might get a better response. Did you get the email about needing the signature for Michael Jordan? Uh, it was for Kobe Bryant. Oh, God, God, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was going to blow it. And I absolutely did. And, and I think, you know. Did they get the signature? Because there's I, I a, don't a know fabulous yet. piece of art somebody has donated to their organization. And this is, a, this is crazy because here we are talking about six degrees of separation. And you and I just came up with one. You and I have never met. No, you're absolutely so right. So we just met in the parking lot. At, yeah, uh, and, and of course. And so if you know Dan and I know Dan, we're one degree of separation, right? Exactly. And um, so we need to get, we need somebody who has an end to get a signature for Kobe Bryant so he can sign a piece of artwork that's going to be auctioned off as a, as a fundraiser for the organization that, that he cares for so much. 
So you know, it's a wonderful cause, and if we can get that signed, it will Kobe obviously Bryant. Kobe increase Bryant. its value dramatically. <laughs> it would significantly. <laughs> Call in or, um, let's see, what, they can go to KimberlyMartin.com, or how could they reach you, Brian, if they wanted to reach you? Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I mean, easiest just, way. Just type in Brian Goodman, and then they'll find you that way, huh? Okay, I like that. Very wonderful. Thank goodness you were here and you got the same email. <laughs> Boy, that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful um, thing that just happened, isn't it? How how simple it is to be connected to people, but but without knowing that, or even like you said, this LinkedIn concept, I wouldn't have known unless this just came up, or right. I had had the remembrance to bring up the Kobe Bryant signature. Well, that's the power of a network. It's 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 focusing on an opportunity to connect different and diverse people. Uh, as you're building that network, don't just focus on one group, one culture, one subset. You know, diversify whether it be via geography or subject matter, skill set. Uh, take the time to get to know other people uh, because you, you'll be rewarded later. You can never build a network uh, too soon. It's something you want to be building you know, from day one because when you need it, it will already be there. Right. If you try to go build it when you need it, it's too late. Now, when I was a college student, a lot of the people that were part of my network and my mentoring, uh, we'll call it the board of directors that you've you you say for yourself were my professors it's a great place to start isn't it no absolutely and i think you know when you talk about who's able to give you guidance mm -hmm. it's a great uh, tool and professors are there they're actually paid to be working with you and involved with you and giving you that guidance and they're ones that i think are great connectors because they are so well known in the community and uh, on campus and they can connect you with others not only through the university settings but also through other business leaders okay Good. And and they are, you know, usually they come by way of a, a professorship because they've achieved some sort of success in their career um, before. So that's, that's a, it's a great place to start. Um, uh, I want to go back to the concept of the entrepreneurship and how, how that plays out for you in your day-to-day day -day role at Experius. Certainly. I think, you know, Experis is actually the quintessential example of entrepreneurship in, in action. First of all, what does the organization do? So the organization is a professional services firm. We, we provide services to all types of uh, organizations from Fortune 100 down to small and medium size, uh, specifically focusing on IT, finance and accounting and engineering. And our organization is actually only a year old, and it was created inside a much larger parent organization. And so it's the kind of the classic entrepreneurial action, which is one of the things that really attracted me to it, of taking something and creating something brand new within this much larger global entity. Okay. And you say entrepreneurship is not a feel-good gesture. It is sound business strategy. No, absolutely. I think it's something where... Uh, entrepreneurship is relatively new. Kind of the term was coined back in the late 70s, started to evolve in the 80s, and you're starting to hear more of it, but still most people aren't aware of it. And if you think about the idea of what the fundamental concept of entrepreneurship really is, it's the idea of innovation and being able to create something. Well, small businesses do a tremendous amount of innovation, and entrepreneurs are a part of those making small business occur, but look at all of the existing larger organizations that are out there and how do we foster innovation and creativity. 
I think one real good example of that is, is Apple. Right. I was just thinking that as you were describing this, that's Apple. You know, somebody didn't leave Apple and go and create the iPad. It was somebody who came up with the idea within, and they created a culture from the top down, from, from Steve Jobs down to foster that innovation and that allowed reward. them to think out of the box. Yeah, absolutely, reward that innovation. And a lot of a lot of that innovation is developed because the companies maybe had the foresight to let them work in small groups within the company. Is that why is that so critical? Yeah, I think depending on on, on how you're looking at it, the, the entrepreneur is by its very nature a small group. It's usually one or two people with an idea in their garage and they're off creating it. When you're dealing with the entrepreneurship in a much larger organization. There can tend to be a lot of noise uh, just due to the fact that you're inside a much larger organization that have multiple work streams and lots of people. A lot of people saying no instead of yes. Exactly. And so if, if the tone is being set at the top and there's a lot of ways that that can be done, you need to be able to carve out a space and actually properly motivate and reward those individuals to be thinking outside the box and coming up with those new ideas. And so by doing it in small groups and giving them the autonomy and isolating them in a, in a way that will foster that innovation is going to in- increase its success. Okay. All right. Good. Um, can you give me some examples of this in your current role at Experis? Yeah, I think there's... I think. Everything we do uh, in, in my current role is, is, is dealing with some of the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, when we're dealing with clients, they come to us because they're looking for uh, solutions to problems, uh, whether it be increasing profits or, you know, fixing things that are broken. And so, so do you go into their company? You're, you play the role as a consultant? As a consultant, we go in. We have uh, teams of professionals with subject matter expertise in various areas who are going in to help them problem solve and help them achieve their goals. So I think, you know, much like an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is going to have the same type of uh, motivation, creativity, being able to think outside the box and helping our clients really create something or solve a particular issue. Uh, and then they take those experiences. You learn from those experiences. And one of the reasons I love what I do is I'm working with different industries and different people mm-hmm. uh, that are different problems every day. And there's never one size fits all uh, to any of our solutions. And you're never in a situation where you're really doing the same thing day after day. Okay. Um, are you allowed to talk about any specific project that you've worked on? Uh, probably not anything specific. Okay. I, I think you can look at... Uh, you know, without you know delving into it too much, I think some of the, the the big areas that we're really helping at now that I think are more mainstream are uh, financial services and, and everything going on in the regulatory world and the financial crisis and recession that we're going through and helping companies through this uh, to uh, the mortgage industry and some of the challenges they've had. We've experienced it here in Southern California quite a bit. Right to uh, healthcare, uh, there's a lot of change in all three of those uh, industries that require additional horsepower, brain power within the organizations, and they turn to uh, firms like ours to be able to support them through those initiatives. Okay. So you talk about something when you talk about the economy, and uh, one of your central messages is that how you believe this form of entrepreneurship is is capable of getting this country back to work in a more uh, productive way. Um Part of that, though, is maybe one of the other roles, one of the other hats that you play is corporate governance. Can you talk to us a little bit about the role of corporate governance and um, and your and how your well your involvement with that? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think uh, corporate governance is 
essential to to business today, and, and it's really been highlighted a lot due to the current economic recession and the challenges that we have had uh, just in the last 10 years. You look at everything from Sarbanes-Oxley to Dodd-Frank and, and the challenges that we've faced, uh, there's a lot of trends that are uh, both positive and negative around corporate governance and, and things that we continue to look at and understand as a, as a country and a society. Um, and I think there's some positive things that have occurred in the sphere of corporate governance. Uh, you know, one example would be that boards of directors are more attentive and, and understanding what the issues are and involved in trying to seek out uh, answers early. Uh, you know, there's a lot of call right now for regulation around things like corporate pay and making sure that you're tying company performance to corporate pay. And a lot of that is a direct result of some of the um, indiscretions or malfeasance we saw in the, uh, that, that caused some of this global recession. Uh, you have new legislation like Dodd-Frank that's you know, causing companies to still continue to assess their compliance needs, as well as still have to focus on what their risk strategies are in this current economy, because we all know we're not moving as quickly as we'd hoped. Okay. The, the one thing I wanted to say, though, is Dodd-Frank was a result of the Financial Services the Financial Services Act that Bill Clinton, you know, deregulated Glass-Steagall. So in a way, corporate, corporate governance lobbied the government to repeal something that was 70 years old, and we never had a major collapse. And then Dodd-Frank was kind of like the Band-Aid. Yeah, and I think when you look at uh, any type of regulation and look at the history of it, you have pendulums that swing from one yeah. extreme to the other. And, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, situation, but I think we're going to continue to see it evolve. And uh, the pendulum has swung from the, like you said, the elimination on one end to now having the challenges that we faced and the, the corporate greed that we saw that really got us into the mess that then led to Dodd-Frank being created. I still think that we'll probably see the pendulum swing again back the other direction. Yeah. Huh. Well. We're, so are we, let's say, if we're holding up two walls, which side of the pendulum is it, has it swung? I think it's moved from uh, lack of uh, compliance and reform to being heavily compliant-driven and uh, a tremendous amount of eyes from Congress trying to reform it. And I think that's also going to drive behaviors. And then as this tries to get implemented and then the cost structure and the complexities of it continue to grow, I think there will be things that are probably chipped away at it and move it back towards the center a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, I just hope that we can find a balance. Uh, we don't want history to repeat itself. And I think it's, uh, it's important that boards of directors play a, you know, continue to elevate corporate governance to its highest level so that they are keeping it center stage. Okay. Um, well, so with that, you sit on an advisory board here at UCI. Tell us a little bit about that. It's the Center of, uh, for Corporate Governance. Certainly. So uh, the focus for the Center of Corporate Governance is really to advance the fundamental understanding of corporate governance. Um, and here at UCI, they do that through scholarly, re scholarly research, uh, interactive forums, speaker series. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of information that they are disseminating and are uh, focusing on the idea of corporate governance through educational outreach programs. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful organization. I don't know if many of the listeners are familiar. It's a relatively new center that was created here at UCI, and it is uh, an excellent addition to the business community, and I would certainly encourage anyone, uh, whether you're a student, a board member, uh, a chief financial officer, a business executive, if uh, business is important and corporate governance is something that uh, 
interest you, you should you know sign up for their for their website, their newsletters, come to some of their events, uh, just get involved. It's a phenomenal organization. Okay, good. All right, good. Um, well, back to your affiliation with UCI, we and we and talking about entrepreneurship. Tell me, do you do you? Well, I want you to give us some examples of some entrepreneurial organizations in Orange County, and then talk to us a little bit about um, us here at UCI. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think there's there's a portion of many corporations that do have entrepreneurial aspects to them, and if you look at some of the largest ones here in Orange County, I think they do instill that. Uh, and, and of course, UCI, I think, is no no different. Uh, they are entrepreneurial as well. They're no exception to that. Uh, and nonprofits as well are also entrepreneurial. In fact, I think nonprofits uh, are almost forced to be a little bit more entrepreneurial because they're uh, having to do it to survive. You know, because they're not getting the same level of donation support as they once have. I mean, they have this, you know, just a, you know, a different set of challenges and they don't have the revenue that's driving uh, them as far as their growth. And so where you have corporations that have revenue and income coming in, they can uh, afford, if you will, to be less entrepreneurial because they have products and services they can continue to rely on. Sometimes nonprofits uh, need to be able to do something differently to you know, do different programs or focus on different ways to achieve same, do less with more. Okay. Okay, good. If you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, here with Heather McCoy at my side, and we are interviewing Brian Goodman, entrepreneur, senior executive, community leader, and networking master, and uh, we're having a really good discussion with Brian about why you might consider as a um, right out of college, um, assembling your own board of directors or like an advisory board. This is something you have done throughout your career um, through just networking means, but also just finding people in your family to support your efforts, um, finding areas where you could have used some support where maybe, you know, we, we know we have our top three skills, but we can't fill the, the, the whole room with all the skills needed to perform a task or a certain job or start a company. And so that personal board of directors is really there to help advise you in the areas where maybe you are a little weak and you need to grow some strengths. Yeah, I think no one can have all the skill sets necessary to be successful all the time. And it's surrounding yourself with people uh, who can help you and, and foster your growth and success. You know, surround yourself with smart people. You, in addition to your professional life, you spend a lot of your personal time volunteering for other organizations. Would you like to talk about some of those organizations today? Yeah, certainly. I think uh, giving back to the community is always uh, essential to to anyone who is you know, involved in participating in a community. Uh, there's a couple organizations that uh, are, are very important to me and near and dear to my heart. Uh, probably the most important one is a organization called Human Options. Uh, they are a 30-year organization that was founded here in Orange County, and their their mission and, and focus is really to help battered women and their families and our community end the cycle of domestic violence. Um, how how did you get involved? That's a great question. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, that I was working with introduced me initially to the organization, and then shortly after that, I was introduced to the CEO and founder, Vivian Klikak. Oh, yeah. uh, if you've ever met Vivian, you'll, you'll understand, but uh, she created Human Options over 30 years ago, and it was her passion and energy for the cause that is just infectious. And when you meet her, uh, you just want to immediately jump in and help in any way you can. 
and uh, spent a few years working and being involved with the organization, and then they asked me to join their board, and I've spent the last, uh, I guess it's now almost three years working closely with them. Uh, they have weathered the storm dealing with the, um, you know, the challenges of being a nonprofit in this current economic environment and also dealing with some of the growing issues that are facing uh, you know, their, their clients and you know it's really staggering to see you know, how the recession has created and really amplified what's going on. But if you look at some of the statistics, it's amazing. You know, one in four women are actually physically assaulted by a partner during their lifetime. Do you mean that the recession has amplified the violence? It's it's created. Um well, it's made the numbers go up. Yeah, it really the incidences has. Incidences are higher then. And for a variety of things, from uh, you know, for example, you might look at. You might look at something like elder abuse. Right. Uh, it's something that's not always often talked about, but the, the issue because uh, because of what's happened financially in the recession, you have uh, adults who are moving back in with parents that are now then victimizing uh, the elderly, and it's not something that you they're victimizing their parents. Their parents, correct? Jeez, oh, it's gut wrenching. So and it's interesting, and there's also an aspect of it that it's you know it's not just the the, the women. Uh, or men at times, it's the children. And, it, you know, there's nothing more powerful and re- more rewarding when you actually see a graduate of the Human Options Program and you meet them and you see that not only did their life change, but you could have probably saved their life and their children's life by being able to provide these resources to them. Many of them didn't know there were options or resources available to help. So when you say a graduate, a graduate is somebody who has been a victim that comes to Human Options or somebody that's been a perpetrator? would be a, a typically it's a victim okay. and it would be someone who comes through the organization and we have multiple stages everything from an emergency shelter uh so you know leaving the police department and, and moving into an emergency shelter and filing restraining orders all the way to uh, educational programs and secondary housing and places for people to really start to repair and rebuild their lives and move on uh, after these tragic events have happened Okay. You say that uh, one in five teens experience dating violence. Has that number gone up? Uh, I, I don't know the exact statistics on whether it has gone up, but I think it is the, the way that uh, we look at and maybe measure uh, violence and what is acceptable. Uh, if you look at you know, movies and video games and, and how violence has really perpetrated our society, uh, I think it's only natural that if that number has gone up, uh, that could be some, some form of explanation. Okay. Uh, and when you look at it as far as, you know, children and understanding the impact of children and, uh, you know, children who grew up in homes with domestic violence are much more likely to become abusers or actually be abu- abused. Or allow that, that pattern to continue in their own mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. And if you look at also, if you want to try to break it down to a financial perspective to see the impact on business and uh, the, the cost of domestic violence to American businesses is over $6 billion a year as it relates to sick and medical leaves and lost productivity. It's a big number. It is a big number. One of the ones here that you cite in our notes is that 90% of elder abuse is committed by family members. That's staggering. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising. Well, I suppose it's a lot of its proximity because most of us are caring for our family. But um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's palpable. It's very, very difficult. I also thought this was an interesting statistic. You cited one third of all nine one one calls are reporting domestic violence are made by the children. So yes. these are the children that are the victims. Uh, not necessarily always the victims, the but they, they are the ones that are actually picking up the phone and dialing nine one one. Maybe because the the um, 
father or mother is being abusive uh, either to them or to the, the partner. Okay. Now, human options is easy to find out information about by going online um, and just doing a Google search of human options. Um, some of the other things they do, you said you have here um, what's on the horizon for them. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, the idea is human options has been around for 30 years, and we're going to look for another 30 years uh, to continue doing the great work that they do. Uh, fundraising is always a critical concern of ours. Uh, because, again, of the recession, uh, the, you know, we're trying to be re- less reliant on public funds. So we're really focusing uh, next year on raising an endowment to support the organization and really be sustainable for another 30 years. Public funds just because they're drying up, right? Yes. Okay. And just that's happening. The, the money's not there anymore. So we can't right. rely on it. Are some of these organizations that that perform these functions, are they merging to join forces so that they can keep running and keep performing their mission with um, maybe shared resources? It's a great question. I think it's something that is, is always looked at, and I know Vivian and the team are always talking to other people in the community that have similar organizations. I think one of the challenges uh, in my experience has been that a lot of these organizations are founded based on someone's personal experience uh, as it relates to a child or a spouse or something very tragic that's happened in their life. And so it's typically very hard for them to say goodbye to to their legacy or something they've created or by merging it into another organization. And so it does create a lot of duplication right. uh, in these services. I think there could be some value and some, some lessons learned as far as shared services by pulling these things together. It's just not quite as easy as, as one would think. Right. Uh, what's your specific role there? Do you have a, a particular talent that you lend to the organization? <laughs> Uh, I try to do a lot of things and in, in serving on the board and helping with fundraising and being a part of, you know, being the ambassador uh, in the community to make sure that people who need the services of human options actually understand that there is help out there, uh, as well as helping provide uh, good corporate governance and sustainability for the future. Okay. So you're setting them up for success in your efforts. Absolutely. Um, there, There is a component to human options which talks about educating the community about prevention. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so it, it goes far beyond, uh, human options goes far beyond just providing shelter and services to, to these families. Uh, they've taken it upon themselves to really be out in the community creating programs that are advocating uh, you know, d- violence-free. So they have uh, a tremendous community outreach program. They focus on grades K through 12 to really stop the cycle before it begins. It's that prevention of violence to to get that next generation to understand right from wrong, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. And there's a lot of training programs and that go to businesses, to the medical profession, criminal justice professionals, where they're out there in the community doing these things so that they have the knowledge to be able to make change before the violence actually occurs. Okay. All right. Well, no, I think that that's a pretty heavy topic that we just touched on, but uh, not all, not all volunteer efforts by you are, are so heavy. (laughs) That's true. It looks like you have a few in here added into your otherwise busy life um, that are more fun and a little lighthearted. Let's talk about that for a second. You, you do some work with the Discovery Science Center. Um, Aren't they going under an expansion right now? Tell us a little bit about the organization. Yes, it's actually a massive 60 $2 million expansion, to, oh, uh, to be exact. So the Discovery Science Center is uh, is an amazing organization here in Orange County, and the team there is just 
uh, thrilled about its success and how well loved and frequently visited visited the the hands on science center is. But what's interesting to note is uh, among museums, it's one of the highest attendance in Orange County and is is the most densely packed science center in the nation. Now, well, that's that, for sure. They do a lot with the space they have. Certainly do. And what that means, however, is that it's crowded. So there's 520,000 visitors and 80,000 field trips a year, uh, and, and the center is just you know busting at the seams. And so they're planning an initiative to take the center from its current seven acres and double its size to about 14 acres. Are they going to take over that back parking lot of the Santa Ana, the main place mall? So there's there's a lot of things that uh, there are there are in store for the Science Center. Uh, they're, they're looking to raise $62 million, and that first phase of expansion is going to be about $18.5 million, and it will include a new 40,000-square-foot discovery pavilion, a California natural resources pavilion, an education wing, as well as expanding the existing hall, which is what uh, people are familiar with today, by about 4,000 square feet. So that big cube that we see on the side of the freeway is the Grand Hall of yes, Science. Yes, and, okay. that, and that will stay. Uh, future phases are, are really exciting, too, because they're going to include things like an IMAX theater, uh, which will have the largest screen in the country, uh, a life science oh, pavilion. And um, we're also going to be focusing on something that's really unique called the world's greenest parking lot. And the idea that parking's a real hot button right now at the center because the overflow visitors that we have have to be shuttled over and, and forced over into a neighboring shopping center. And so instead of just building something basic, you know, you know a parking structure, we're actually going to create a parking structure that's educational and a structure that's going to be an exhibit in itself. And it's going oh. to focus on topics like renewable energy, sustainable Wonderful. construction, and protecting the uh, Orange County uh, watershed and beach runoff. Interesting. Can you give us some ideas of how they will manifest that? Are we going to all have to drive in and put uh, solar panels on our cars? <laughs> uh, those are in those future phases, and so there's a lot of uh, things that are still things in, in the works. In the, in the in the thinking space. Absolutely, okay. but they've got some cool fundamental ideas to, to promote uh, something that wouldn't traditionally be educational, like a parking garage, and right. turn into something really unique and interesting. Very wonderful, wonderful. Uh, talk to us about what some of the most popular exhibits are over there. Uh, there's so many, but uh, if you had to narrow it down, I'd say there's uh, the the Dino Quest is one that's quite popular, as well as the the Rocket Lab and Science of Hockey. And uh, hopefully many of you went to it, but recently, as far as their traveling exhibits, they had the Star Wars where science meets imagination, and it was a huge success and uh, surpassed all of our expectations. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, our, um, well, you have children, so these yeah. must be some of your kids' favorites exhibits. Is that true? Or oh, absolutely. Do they, have, do they have others? They do. We try to take them there frequently. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's a great age for them. I think they're probably biggest one is uh, Bubble Fest, another oh, one of the, yes. the traveling exhibits. And, <laughs> I love that one. Uh, it's something that's a big hit every year, but I think what everybody's getting really excited for is the upcoming Indiana Jones and Adventure of Archaeology exhibit. It's oh. going to be another huge exhibit. Do we know the dates on that? Is that coming up really soon, or is it coming it, up for the It new is year? coming up soon. You can find it on the Discovery Science Center website and have all the details and information about it. Okay, good. So Google Google Discovery Science Center for those dates. Um, how is how do you think the center is helping to promote uh, improved science education? I mean, do yeah. they play a role with that? Do they oh, take that absolutely. seriously? It's something they take very seriously, and, and, yeah. and much like uh, other organizations, you know, the center isn't just about exhibits and infrastructure. It's really the institutional outreach that goes into the classrooms in five uh, counties. Okay. They're inspiring learning and science for about two hundred twenty thousand students each year. In fact, it's 
the third largest program in the country. And they also support okay. science curriculum that are being slashed by schools and cash-strapped uh, locations. <laughs> We're getting a phone call here in the studio. Bye. Bye. Heather's on the phone in the background. <laughs> Um, okay, good. Well, I like that. Um, so what are their, well, you, you've you said that their priorities in the upcoming is to raise that $62 million. So yeah, that's it, a pretty it, big lofty goal. It's a goal. huge capital campaign to raise a lot of money. It's going to be something that will be paid back to the, the people of Orange County and to the community with a tremendous value and a future of a, a landmark here in, in, in Orange County. Where... Um, where do you find you spend your time when you help that organization? What, which of your skills do you lend to them? I think uh, on the business side, I spend most of my time focusing on the finance committee and uh, understanding the financial obligations and challenges they faced and dealing with the ebbs and flow of uh, having to prepare for new events and plan for the future, but also cover the costs of what existing uh, opportunities and, and being able to, to balance those. Uh, It's not always easy to do. The president, uh, Joe, has taken a vision of what we grew up with as far as a stodgy old museum that just kind of was stagnant and no one ever wanted to go to and gave it a feel that is engaging and exciting and you can really go in and live it. And it's something you want to go back to over and over again because it's always evolving and always changing and there are new things. Right. Well, I think you've absolutely demonstrated today that you do, you are big on the give back. And um, it's, re- it's remarkable. And I-, I wanted to ask you this in the beginning, but I think it's actually more fitting to ask it to you now. Talk to me about how your upbringing led you to be this kind of a person. Well, it's an interesting question. I think uh, this is something that really has to be instilled. And then how? And then um, how are you doing that to instill this in your own children? No, absolutely. I, I think it's something where uh, you know I'm, I'm a Midwesterner and born and raised there. But I think uh, more than more than that, and there's a definitely a difference of Midwesterners versus uh, I think the rest of the country. Right. But I think it's also a function of you know your your parents and uh, the amount of uh, energy and focus they put on you and how they instill. Uh, you know, the, the right traits and behaviors. Uh, you know, my parents weren't there to, to be my buddy or my friend. They were mm. there to, you know, prepare me for the world and uh, make sure that I was prepared to go out and be on my own. And it's something that, uh, you know, I take that lesson in, in, with my children and make sure that I'm educating them about what's right and wrong, what's proper, what's not. Um, and, you know, I may not be their best friend, but I want to make sure that my job is done in making sure that they're prepared for the world. Right. And, and whatever is going to come ahead of them. But you get a tremendous amount of joy of giving back. Giving freely, really, is what we talked about. And and that comes from a different place, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's not natural to everyone. I, it's not. It might be a big part of the human spirit, but it doesn't necessarily extend to everybody in that manner. No, I think you're right. It's something I definitely have noticed that uh, makes me a little bit unique in the sense that uh, I truly do enjoy helping others and giving back. Because I think it's the the right thing to do, and it's it's the kindness of my of my heart and who I am. Uh, not everyone's like that, uh, and, and I hope that more people will will try to foster that type of uh, behavior. But it's something that I think is just ingrained in who you are. Well, you've certainly inspired us here at KUCI, and Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and in. Any small way, putting out your message inspires others to do the same. I think we've accomplished something here today. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me. I appreciate it. Brian Goodman, thank you for being here today. Oh, 
Heather. Oh, oh, look at you. <laughs> I'm so used to Heather just taking care of me. Okay, so up next is um, Counterspin, and then after that, Matt Kaplan with Planetary Radio. And um, Heather's going to take us away with some, probably some special message. <laughs> Program promo. So, yeah, stay tuned. And Kyle's up at six with five things that are squared. The music continues. Thank um, you. I'm getting better at that. You're getting better I'm at it. I'm trying. I just had a, I'm, I haven't had a whole second where I didn't say anything, though, before. <laughs> <laughs> this is 88.9 KCI FM in Irvine.